I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Mark and I have been talking about this and thinking about this. Thank you all for the questions that you wrote. Uh, we're going to answer as many as we can, just going to go right through the list and maybe not go deep in any question because I got a ton and then Mark has got a ton and 25 a piece. Oh so. man, we're going to, we're going to do the best we can. Question number one, uh, what is the tattoo on Mark's arm and why? That's I, can't, a question. I can't tell if that's like a, a, a really angry why or one of the purpose. Uh, so it's, I'll try to do this. It is preach the word from 2 Timothy 4.2 in Greek. And uh, my younger brother and I, Nick, got it uh, when he was in town for my oldest brother's first son, Knox, being born. And so we talked about it for a while, and uh, he was in town, and so we went and did it. And we have plans for others, but then you have kids and diaper money. It's harder to wrestle away. (laughs) Question, how can I better hear the voice of God? The real quick answer is there is absolutely one place and only one certain place where you can hear the voice of God. That is in the written word of God. Uh, I'm not opposed to uh, hearing, quote, the voice of God other places, but let's understand the one infallible, inerrant revelation of, of the voice of God is in the written word of God. Start in Genesis, go to Malachi, go to Matthew, read to Revelation. Uh, I think the question for hearing the voice of God is not, am I into the word? The question is, is the word into me? Thy word what? I have I hid in my heart. So if you want to know the voice of God, pay attention to the word of God. Don't just read it, but let the word of God permeate your heart and your life. That is the one true voice of God we all must hear. For Mark, you mentioned something in your Romans 8-1 sermon uh, that changed, something changed for you in February, what happened and what changed. I went to a conference, a five-day conference called Ultimate Leadership, which is put on by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, and uh, really just kind of had a spiritual awakening of sorts where there was some bondage, uh, some sin, and some brokenness in my life that I didn't realize. I knew it was there, didn't know how to give word to it, didn't know how uh, to allow God to heal that. Uh, and, then, and then I can remember John Townsend talking about saying Romans 8.1 and saying there is therefore now no condemnation. And in my heart, I heard that in my heart rather than just my head, and it changed everything for me. And so I, there's, there's a longer story there, but we don't have a lot of time. What is success in ministry and in life, and from Scripture about standing before the Lord on the last day. And we all are going to stand before the Lord. We're going to answer for what we have done and what we have not done. I often think about that verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And in fact, every time before I get up and preach, in in this week, uh, every time before I've gotten up and preached, I've quoted that verse to myself to remind myself it's not by cleverness, it's not by wisdom, it's not by a sermon outline, it's not by PowerPoint, it is not by anything I can do. That true success, if it's going to happen, is going to come from the Spirit of the Lord. The other thing I would say is remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whatever you do, 
whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. And I got a little help on this a few years ago from a, a friend of mine in the Chicago area who told me that every day, and he was the leader of a really big ministry, very large, extensive ministry in Chicago. And I said, well, how do you keep centered? He said, I got a prayer. I pray every day. He said, a friend told me about it. It's the last part of the Lord's prayer. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he said, I pray it this way every day. Lord, let your kingdom come even if mine must go. Let your power be seen even if mine must disappear. Let your glory be manifest even if my glory must come to nothing. And I have found that a very centering way to prayer. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory today and every day. If we live that way and in that spirit, we're going to end up okay when we stand before the Lord. I got two questions. They're favorite questions. So I'll, 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 they're for both of us. Okay. Or the second one's for you. But uh, for Ray and Mark, what is your favorite Bible verse and why is there a story behind that? For me, it's Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Uh, Jeremiah is describing the word of God being shut up in his, in his bones like a fire. And he says, I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And this is, you know, this is, he's the only prophet in Israel, really, that, that is saying, hey, if you don't repent, Babylon is coming. And they put him in stocks. They hate him. They abuse him. And uh, that, I don't, I don't remember where, I think it was in junior high, I read that verse, and I was just blown away by it. And that's been one that I've been drawn to uh, since then. From 1 Corinthians, moreover, it is required in the steward that a man be found faithful. I discovered that verse about 45 years ago and have come back to it again and again because I understand I'm just a steward. My job is to take what God has given me, to use the gifts he's given me, and to get his word out to as many people as possible. You know what? I'm not going to be compared in that day to Billy Graham, a man I greatly respected. I'm not going to be compared to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, possibly the greatest preacher the English language has ever produced. And you think of the great Christian leaders of today. I'm not going to be compared to them. The Lord is simply going to say, were you faithful in doing what I gave you to do? You know what? I may not be able to do what somebody else can do, but I can be faithful. And that's my prayer every day. Lord, let me be faithful to do your will. And again, I think if we are faithful to do God's will every day, we're going to end up okay. The second question, and this was, I don't know who wrote this. So who is your favorite son? <laughs> I just put that in. It's not actually on there, but I want to hear the answer to this. Uh, let's see. We, uh, you know, the three boys, you mean? Listen to him stammering. This is, good. <laughs> this is, this is, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. <laughs> I, I love you all equally <laughs> okay. most of the time. Fair enough. <laughs> My question is, why is Drew Brees the greatest QB of all time? I don't accept the supposition, first of all. Reject that. Is it because the Saints are God-blessed? If they are God-blessed, it's only because there is a Manning living in New Orleans. Oh, that was good. Oh, that was good. They, they didn't all get that, but I got it. Okay. With, with your vast experience as pastors, sons, parents, and husbands, what are the top tips you receive or share to help others with their marriages and raising kids. Well, I'm going to just do the marriage part because in a few weeks, Marlene and I are going to celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary. And you have good days. You have hard days, right? You have every marriage goes through seasons, right? 
You have seasons when it just flows and seasons when you seem to be going in different directions and seasons when, frankly, the pressures of life are up against you. You know the first thing that popped into my mind? So I'll just say that. Uh, You won't stay married very long unless you learn to become a quick forgiver. A quick forgiver. B, love covers what? A multitude of sins. Why does it say that? Because there's a multitude of sins that need to be covered. Love does a lot of things, but it's got to learn to forgive quickly. Or else little things become big things. Big things become bigger things. Bigger things become insurmountable. And that's when marriages break up. You have to learn to become a quick forgiver. And you have to become quick to admit when you are wrong. And I am still working and growing uh, at that 45 years later. I'm glad I've had a very patient wife. These are, the, these are three discerning questions that Christians are dying to know. Number one, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. And number two, what would be an acceptable situation uh, that would warrant the use of steak sauce? None. Uh, if you're, I agree. I agree. <laughs> right. If your friends or family had to describe you by the flavor of Til- by a flavor of Tillamook ice cream, which flavor would you be and why? I probably Monster Cookie because I'm. Uh, I was occasionally... going to say Rocky Road. <laughs> right, right, right. There's got to be a. That's exactly. That was my first thought. But some version of those two, uh, for sure. Uh, now here's a theological question. Where was Jesus, or what happened to Jesus, between his crucifixion and his resurrection? There's some people who have, who have said wrongly, in my judgment, that Jesus went down and was suffering the pains of hell between his crucifixion and resurrection. Whatever Jesus suffered happened when he was on the cross. Whatever Jesus suffered happened in that three hours, the mysterious three hours of darkness on Good Friday from when, when, when the, when the earth went dark from noon until 3 p.m., Jesus at the end cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And somehow in that three hour period, the infinite son of God bore the sins of the whole human race. He paid the price. That's when, that's when the sewer of humanity was poured out on the son of God and he bore our sins. So whatever else we may say, do not say Jesus was in the fires of hell between his cross and his resurrection. After all, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, you will be with me where? In paradise. In paradise. Jesus was in his father's presence from the moment of his crucifixion until his body was in the ground and he was physically dead. Spiritually, he was alive with his father in heaven. And from 1 Peter 3, that very mysterious, probably the most difficult passage in the New Testament, it is possible from 1 Timothy or 1 Peter chapter 3 that our Lord proclaimed in the spirit realm his victory over all the forces of darkness. But at least we know this much. He was not, quote, burning in hell. Never say that. Never say that. He was with his Father in heaven because he had completed the work the Father gave him to do. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. The question is this. How do we connect this verse to Romans 14, 10, 11, 12, and also uh, 2 Corinthians five ten, where we will have to give an account at the judgment seat? Uh, that's a great question. It actually leaves out a really important passage about the ju- a judgment seat, which is in 1 Corinthians 
3 or 4, uh, where we'll stand before the Lord and everything about our hearts will be known. And right after that, it says, God will praise you for what you've done. That the Bema seat, the judgment seat, is not, uh, it's, it's like finishing the race, where God rewards the victors and he doesn't whip the losers. How lame would it be if there was no condemnation until you got to the judgment right. seat, where, you know, call, we're, we're foreknew, we're predestined, we're predestined, we're called, we're glorified, but we're not totally glorified, and we need some version of heavenly purgatory to get, to get us the rest of the way. So uh, this judgment seat is, it's, it's well done, good and faithful servant, and yes, You'll have, to, you'll have to give an account for the ways you didn't obey or the ways that you ran from God, but you won't be subject to condemnation that's already been paid on the cross by Jesus. Two questions from my sermons on the book of Joshua. Question one, which I have partially already answered, who was that strange man with drawn sword that Joshua meets when he is reconnoitering the land um, before the battle? Re-whatting? Reconnoitering? Recon- re- well, I don't know. Well, give me another word. I don't even know what that word means. Okay. <laughs> like I, I was hoping for spying a definition. Out, when he's spying out the land around Jericho. Okay. okay. Right. Reconnaissance. He's Recon- a reconnoiter. Did you make that Recon- up? Recon- no, no, I did not. No, no. no I didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, and why does, whoever that was, why does he say, because uh, Joshua asked him, are you on our side or their side? Whose side do you want? That was Jesus. I believe a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord why else would Joshua bow down in front of him and call him my Lord? Why does the Lord say uh, he's not for either side? Because the issue, and I did point this out in the sermon, the issue is not, is Jesus on our side? The really important thing is to know, are we on his side? All right, here's a question from last night. Did anybody wonder about this, the story of Achan? It was Achan who sinned. How come his whole family got stoned? Boy, that's an interesting question, isn't it? And the text does not absolutely answer the question. In fact, last night's sermon could have been two or three because that's a problematic, challenging passage. It's one man. Why was that particular sin, uh, why, was it, uh, why, why was it singled out? Well, clearly, for Achan to grab the gold and the silver and that beautiful, the, the beautiful clothes, that was an attack on God himself because God had directly said, do not touch that. God's holiness in that great battle must be upheld. It's like asking the question, how come Ananias and Sapphira died, but other people who tell lies in church don't die? I mean, if everybody who ever told a lie in a church service died, they'd be dragging bodies out of church left and right. I think, in a way, what happened to Achan was a specimen warning, was like a, 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 an example to all of the nation of Israel in the same way that Ananias and Sapphira were a warning to the early church because, Acts 5 says, after they drugged those dead bodies out and buried them, great fear came not only upon the church but everybody who heard these things. The point being, don't trifle with God. Don't take his holiness lightly. And then the, just the side note then, why did all the family die? I assume, I assume they knew. After all, after all, what did Achan do? He didn't just sin. He brought the sin into his own tent. He brought the sin into his own family. And I think they must have known what their dad had done 
Therefore, they must have been complicit in it. That's my best answer to that question. How has your view or application of grace changed over the last year? I think my view of cha- my group, my view of grace has not changed, but my application of grace has changed. I would hope uh, that as a as a preacher, well, actually, I know this. As a preacher, it's easy just to preach commandments, right? And and that can often just be received as not good enough. And it's easy as a preacher to say, "Why don't you just hurry up? Why don't you just get going?" And so I hope, I hope my preaching and my ministry has changed. To be able, whoever can run, I want them to run faster. Whoever can walk, I want, to, I want to help them learn how to run. Whoever's crawling, I want to help them learn how to walk. Whoever's broken, I want to help mend them and, and get them taking the next step. Rather than, rather than holding up my own life or, or the commandments and, and saying, you know what, you're not good enough. Well, I, that's not condemnation. Grace says, yeah, you're not. Let me walk with you. Let me help empower that. So hopefully for myself, uh, it's just being okay with not being okay, but not staying that way. Okay, some Bible prophecy questions. Do you believe that Christ's followers will be raptured before the tribulation? What are your views on the coming rapture? And then, it, then one here says, thank you. What do you think about the rapture? When? And then they say, I'm voting for pre. Okay, good. Good. So am I. This is a hotly debated topic, although I think probably not debated as hotly maybe as it was uh, 20 or 30 years ago. I believe in the imminent return of the Lord. That's really the key word, not not pre, mid, or post. I believe in the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any day now, any moment now. I don't think there's anything else that has to happen. I think the Lord could come today. I think he could come before the end of the question period. He could come before we all get home. I think we all have to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Look up, Jesus said, when you see these things, beginning to come to pass, the signs of the last days, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. I'm not going to spend one minute, I I have too much to do, to spend one minute arguing with anybody about the timing of the rapture because Jesus is going to come when he's going to come. He's going to be here when he gets here, and he's not going to call me up ahead of time and say, hey, Ray, if I come next Tuesday, does that fit into your eschatological framework? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming. Are you ready. Let me say one other thing. Do you believe the Antichrist is alive today? Obviously, I do not know literally the answer to the question, but if Jesus is coming soon, and I believe he is, then yes. Uh, You know that atomic clock where they, you know, they, uh, how close are we to total catastrophe? Right now it's sitting at two minutes till midnight. That's about where I think we are on the prophetic timeline, two minutes till midnight. If that's right, I think then the Antichrist is probably alive today. We used to, you know, in the olden days, they would pick military leaders. Old, old days, like 70 years ago, Hitler and Mussolini, and then every American president has been named, and the leaders of the common market have been named, and all of that. About 10 years ago, when I was speaking here, I said rather jokingly that I thought Google would be the Antichrist. Uh, Let me say this. Whoever controls this and this controls me. Whoever controls my cell phone and controls my credit cards controls me. What would, how long would any of us survive if you turned on your phone and it said service denied? How long would you last if 
You couldn't get on the internet. How long would you last if you stuck this uh, in the in the thing at the gas station and it said denied, denied, denied? We are living already in basically a cashless society. Whoever controls technology ultimately controls the world. I tend to think, I tend to think that the Antichrist is less likely to come out of politics than to come out of or military. I think it's more likely the Antichrist is going to rise out of world control and world domination from technology. Just saying. We shall all see. Don't use Google. Uh, I can't live without it. I know. I know. They know that. They got you. Uh, Do you think social media is having a positive or negative effect on Christians? Negative? Uh, And let me just, I'm saying this for myself as well. It gives you a false sense of connection and relationship when actually you actually are more isolated. You're less relationally connected. And what we don't realize, if if you don't understand how, like let's say Facebook, for example. Facebook uh, doesn't make money by you having the most diverse set of friends. They, they make money by, by putting you in circles that they can advertise with. So when we think we're sharing the gospel on Facebook, we're just telling other people who already believe what we believe what we believe. And it's an echo chamber. You're just, you're just, you're just hearing back from yourself, which then creates this false illusion that we're somehow making, because you get likes and loves and sharing this, but there's just people who know you. And I, so I think ultimately there's a ton of other reasons, but I think for Christians, uh, for faith-wise, man, it takes up too much of my time too much of my energy, uh, too much anxiety. I mean, there's just, there's so many negative aspects to it that, man, just don't do it, which is almost impossible. I'm just saying. It's hard. Are you on Facebook? I actually deactivated my Facebook account for a week and a half, and then I reactivated the account. So, yes. (laughs) Why? Because I'm narcissistic. I don't understand because I want I want to see like it, it's it's and I've I've understood it. I live without it. it was just fine and then I wanted to see if someone if someone had a picture of of I forget what it was and then all of a sudden I'm back on there so but I, I live fine without it it's just part of our lives now uh, are all your Joshua sermons online someplace if you would like the MP3s you can order it through the we, we can order the MP3s right how do we do that Patrick. Go to the book nook, order the MP3s. If you would like the printed version of all eight of the Joshua sermons, of which I'm only preaching six, they are already online at our website, keepbelieving.com. And the easiest way to remember that is look at the wristband that you are wearing right now. <laughs> Keep believing. See? See what I did there? Keepbelieving.com. Just come. Over 1,000 sermons are on full text. Full-text sermons are online. Just come to keepbelieving.com, and you can you can get the MP3s, order them from the book nook. You can get the full-text printed version free on our website. How do you feel about some denominations preaching that there are other ways to the Father than through Jesus? Uh, man, it's heresy. We, we settled this stuff way back. The church, history, church historians have settled this. So listen, this is, this is why it matters uh, for you all to be really good, clear theologians, because bad theology sends people to hell. Bad theology sends people to hell. We should, we, should, we should fight that rather than some of the battles we're fighting. We should be clear about the gospel. We should expend our energy and our social capital on making sure people understand how to get to the Father, not who to vote for or how to vote or all these other things that, that are in levels of importance, not eternally important. 
So we should run from, we should, we should shout from the mountaintops that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And if someone says otherwise, we run from that church. Whatever became of the Ark of the Covenant, that's, that's it, you know, it's very important in the book of Joshua, Ark of the Covenant, gracious, the sign of God's gracious presence with his people. The Ark of the Covenant was the holiest spot in the Jewish religion, The last time the Ark of the Covenant shows up in the Old Testament is in the days of good King Josiah. Uh, He, when when they had a great revival in the closing days or the closing years of the kingdom of Judah, Josiah got things cleaned up and the Ark of the Covenant was refurbished and proper worship was restored. That's the last time it is mentioned. But by the time they go into captivity, evidently, evidently, it has disappeared. There's no mention of the Ark of the Covenant after they come back from captivity in Babylon. Apparently, it's gone from Herod's temple completely. Now, if you if you saw the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, right. the Nazis got it. The Nazis right. got it. That's right. 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 And now it's hidden in some warehouse, you know, someplace, some military warehouse somewhere. Actually, the, the true the true answer is the last time. It's in the Bible, clearly mentioned, is in the days of King Josiah. It simply disappeared. Uh, some people, there's some Jewish writers who say that before Nebuchadnezzar burned the temple, they took the Ark of the Covenant and hid it somewhere. If so, they hid it very well because it has not been discovered since then. I simply don't know the answer to the question. There are, I have some good friends who believe it will be discovered in the days leading up to the coming of the Lord. We shall all find out the answer to that question together. As a Christian, if I am invited to a same-sex wedding of a close relative, should I attend or not? Uh, this is a question, if you have not yet been asked, your children will be asked. Uh, and it's, it's kind of the, the, the response is, really only two responses is, one, it wouldn't be loving of me in this relationship to not go and celebrate this. The other is, you know what, I can't, I can't go to this because a wedding is a celebration, of, of something. And uh, for me, I, I don't think, because a wedding is particular, they just keep, just keep them down there. Uh, a wedding from the very first note of the prelude to the end is a celebration. It's not a birthday party. You can't go to a wedding, I don't think, you, I don't think you can go to a wedding and say, I don't actually support this. They'd be like going to someone's birthday party who's turning 39 and saying, I don't recognize that you're turning 39. It doesn't work. And so a wedding, a wedding is, is an opportunity, really, to, to celebrate a nuptial. And, man, we don't believe, the Bible doesn't say that uh, it's man and man and woman and woman. It's husband and wife. And so, uh, really, the challenge is, well, the question is, well, isn't that going to hurt my relationship? Probably. Probably. But you have an opportunity to talk about the gospel. You have an opportunity. And so here's what I would encourage you. If you find yourself in this position, uh, if they don't know uh, what you feel about about marriage, and this is your opportunity to tell them. And this is an opportunity for you to go to other things with them. Invite them over to your house. Eat eat pancakes with them. Go go to baseball games with them. Don't make this the only piece about your relationship with them. If you wanna, if you want some other, if you want a good book to read on this, Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Go buy it, read it, gift it to the next generation. Uh, it is a, a stirring, a stirring story of how a woman was was won from that lifestyle by Christians inviting them into their house. Go get that. Uh, but I, for me, I don't think you can. Uh, but if you do, 
man, you got to stand before Jesus, not me. And I think this, this is a, it's a harder, more complicated question than just saying yes or no. But for me, I don't think you can because of the way a wedding is. Well, this goes right along, Mark, just the bigger picture here. If we don't, if we now don't celebrate, accept, and um, we don't agree with the people who want to follow their own desires, do whatever they want with anyone they choose to do it with, we become singled out for not accepting their inclusiveness. That's a true statement. If we do not agree, I mean, let's face it, folks, Romans 1 is coming true in our own day. Just when you think it, we can't go any further, we go further. Just when you think we can't go any deeper, we take another step in the wrong direction. Our society, our world is in rebellion against God. And, and that's a true fact. I see, I see nothing to slow that trend down. So here's the question. How can we actively set ourselves apart from their, I guess, I guess this word is progressiveness, and hold fast to um, the inclusivity of the gospel and the true inclusiveness of Jesus Christ for all. Well, number one, get the book. Get the book Mark just mentioned. And remember, remember this. Remember this. We are not responsible for how other people respond. We cannot take, we cannot take that responsibility. We have got to do the right thing. We've got to stand up for what the Bible says. We've got to stand up for what the truth is. And in some cases, you know what? That's going to cost us a promotion at work. In some cases, that means we're going to be kicked off social media. Which, by the way, I think the squeeze is already on on Facebook and Twitter about anybody who is a social conservative and certainly an outspoken Christian. We're being squeezed off these platforms anyway. I, I think... Um, I suspect, I can't prove, but I'm fairly sure I'm right. I think the day is going to come when they're going to take tax exemption away from any church that will not support gay marriage. I think that's just a matter of days and ministries that will not sign on to the progressive agenda. You know what? I don't think that's so bad because I think our brothers and sisters in China and in India in Indonesia and across the Muslim countries, they're going to say welcome to our world where they never had that advantage anyway. The good news is the darker the night, the brighter the light. And if I could say one other thing. No. Uh, okay. You go. <laughs> How can I be bolder in my witness? What are some steps I can take or things I can do better to share my faith? Uh, number one, pray. If you're not praying for the lost, uh, you won't cultivate a heart of compassion. This is one of those things that is not very present in the church because of the divisiveness and hate. It's hard to imagine praying for someone you hate. But if you pray for someone you hate that builds in a compassion where you can actually talk to them in a way that is loving, uh, loving and gracious, I would recommend two resources to you. Uh, number one is sharing Jesus without freaking out. Uh, it is a, it's a great book, and it, it really helps you. What, what, what's it's called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. That's a real book. Yeah, yeah. We use it at our church, and uh, it is, uh, here's my favorite thing about it, is it, is it, gives you, it gives you tools to help people get lost so they understand their need for Jesus. Lewis Berry Schaefer, the great theologian, used to say, if I had 10 minutes on a train uh, with someone who was unsaved, I would spend nine minutes trying to convince them of their lostness. 
And that, that's, the hardest, that's the hardest part, I think, is people understanding that they're broken and there's a standard they transgressed against. Get that book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, and then get uh, Confronting Christianity. Uh, it's by Rebecca McLaughlin, and it is, it is phenomenal. It's an apologetics book uh, that, that answers the questions that all, all of society is asking about Christianity, and it answers them decisively, clearly, and compassionately. You, you would do well to grab those two. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here about the border crisis and the Christian response to the border crisis. Um, look, we could talk politics, but really what would be the point of that? This is a Bible conference, okay? I don't think anybody who's a Christian can be happy about what is happening on our southern border, whether you're on the left, the middle, the right, who you voted for, who you didn't vote for. I don't think anybody can be happy about what's going on down there. This, I will say this. This is not a problem of recent origin. This is a problem that goes back decades. And in some degree, in some degree, our politicians across the spectrum have not wanted to deal with this. And so now we have a terrible crisis. I will not, I'm not going to say anything else about politics. I will say this. There are tons, tons of good Christian organizations working down at the border. Samaritan's Purse. Big ministry down at the border. The Southern Baptists of Texas, all, all the way from Corpus Christi up to El Paso. I know for a fact the churches of Texas are doing great work down there. I mean, bringing food, bringing water, bringing clothes, and bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. World Relief is down there. World Vision is down there. Many, 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 many evangelical groups are down there with, 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 with clothes, with food, with water, and with the good news of Jesus Christ. We ought to pray. We ought to pray for some kind of... We ought to pray for courageous leaders who will solve this problem. And as Christians, we ought to roll up our sleeves and get involved. And if you can't go there, and most of us will never go there, we can at least give and support and pray for the good brothers and sisters who are down there doing good work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. Uh, question, how did Israel end up with only two swords, according to Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, 22, when they had weapons when they entered the promised land? Basically, at this point in Israeli history, uh, they are surrounded by the Philistines. And the Philistines have basically created a blacksmithing embargo. They took all the blacksmiths out of Israel, and so all Israel had were plowshares and hoes and uh, other, other, other materials. The only two people that had them were Saul and Jonathan. That was either by subterfuge or, or that was okay with the Philistines because what are, what are two swords? And if you want to know where this leads into, this story leads into David and Goliath because the Israelites had a tendency to look to their hands for deliverance and not the heavens. So when David goes and puts on the armor of Saul, and this is the, the second sword in Israel, and he says, this isn't going to be good enough, God is showing the impossibility of what is about to happen. And so he's, it's, it's all what you've been talking about, impossible, difficult, then done. And it is this, it is this beautiful picture that this Israeli army having no, uh, no swords conquers the Philistines at, their, at the hand of God. What are some creative ways you may have found to apply Joshua 1.8 that the word of God, if you want to be successful, the word of God, it should be on your lips. You should meditate on it day or night. And I told you that the word to meditate means to mumble, okay? means We need to be mumbling the word of God. I, I, let me tell you what I have discovered 
in recent years, and I mean only maybe the last couple of years, and I am sorry to say, sorry to say, I waited so long in my life to really get serious about this. But starting about two years ago, I began to get into Scripture memory on a serious basis. And um, I, I'll just tell you how I do it, okay? I, I don't memorize verses anymore. It's too hard for me to skip around. I can't remember all that stuff. Uh, I try to memorize whole chapters of the Bible or whole books of the Bible. And since I started, uh, I have memorized Galatians and James and First Thessalonians. And I have memorized 10 or 11 or 12 of the Psalms and Isaiah 55. And at, at um, a Good Friday service this year, just a few months ago, the pastor at the Good Friday service quoted from memory very dramatically, Isaiah 53. I'd never heard anybody do that before. I decided I'm going to start to work on that. And I found that was very difficult to do, very difficult to do. I found that Galatians is easier for me than Isaiah 53. Took me probably, uh, took me probably from whenever, when was Easter this year? I guess uh, early April, I guess. It took me five or six weeks to memorize Isaiah 53. And let me see if I can just get up and, 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 uh, and, 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 you know, this is, this is, this is my advice to you. Um, I think, I think it helps to move around. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender shoot, as a root out of dry ground, uh, he had no form or majesty that we should desire him, nothing beautiful about him that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And I'll stop right there because I know I'll stumble if I keep going. Let me tell you what I do. Um, I memorize not from the NIV or the CSB or the ESV, I memorized from the PRT, the Pastor Ray translation. <laughs> because I am not trying to do, I'm not trying to win a sword drill. Do any, do any, of you, any of you folks a little old remember sword drills in Sunday school? Attention, draw swords, charge, you know. And uh, the girls are always faster than the boys at that. I never won that ever once in my life, you know. Uh, I'm not trying to win a sword drill. I'm trying to get the word of God in my heart. So, and, and I'm not trying to stand up and, and recite whole books of the Bible to anybody. I just want to get the, the Bible in my heart. So when I'm going through Galatians 3, I'll look at the NIV, the ESV. I'll look at the CSB, and I'll do one verse from one, one verse from another, one verse from another. Is that illegal? It probably is. <laughs> It pro I, pr I probably shouldn't even admit that in public, right? I'll go to the Greek text, and I will translate it from the Greek text because all I'm trying to do is get the flow of the words in my mind. I'm not trying to win a contest, okay? And, and I will tell you this. If somebody said, I've got to come back up here. If, if, if somebody said, Pastor Ray, could you, could you do James 4 right now under this kind of pressure? No, I couldn't. But you know what it's like? Once you have memorized a whole book of the Bible, 
Uh, it's sort of like, you know, you've got a closet, and up on the closet, you've got boxes that, that, where you store stuff. I've got like First Peter stored up there, and I've got James stored up there, and I've got Galatians stored up there. And by the way, right now, for the last three weeks, I've been working on John 17. And John 17 is tougher to me even than Isaiah 53 because the, 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 the phrases that he, Jesus repeats himself in his prayer, but I'm working on that from different translations. And I will say this. All of this, believe it or not, is the answer to this question. Is the answer to this question. You guys even remember the question? I don't, I don't no. know. I, I was letting him go. What are you going to do? No. It's something about Joshua 1.8. I walk and I mumble it to myself. I go down to the basement and I walk and I mumble out the word of God, which is the literal application of Joshua 1.8. And, and it has helped me. Oh, it has helped me to do that. I recommend not just memorizing verses, but chapters and whole books. You can do it. You can do it. I got to share this story. It's not a question. So he came and visited Missoula uh, a couple years ago. And he, if you don't see it here, but he will wander around and mumble and have conversations and gesticulate wildly. And uh, he, he was doing that. He, he was walk up, walking up the hill away from my house. And my worship pastor uh, lives just up the hill. And, uh, and dad was in, uh, well, Barely dressed, let's, I mean, barely out of bed, dressed, just, I mean, look like a, clothes on. yeah, you look like a homeless person. And, and my, I get this picture from my worship pastor, and he, he was, who is this person gesticulating wildly and mumbling? I don't know what you were memorizing, but you were into it. I was walking. into it, yeah. Wow. Uh, question. He, he was, was he, was he worried about me? A little bit. I'm not, I, a little bit. Yes. A little bit. Yes. Is your dad okay? He's fine. Uh, <laughs> Did the obedient son join the celebration of the brother's return? This is from the prodigal son. Did he learn the meaning of the prodigal son's return? I think, I think the fact that we, the story just kind of cuts off, uh, and then we see that the Pharisees basically don't. That this was, a, this was meant to shame them uh, in, into realizing their self-righteousness would never be accepted by God. And, so, and we see the Pharisees don't respond. And they, they double down on this after the resurrection in Acts. They're, they're a hard-hearted, cold-hearted uh, group of people. Mm. Okay, coming, we're coming down. We've got just a, a few more questions left, right? Yeah. Okay, let me do this one. You said we are to wait, and sometimes we do have to wait, right? But, but uh, that God doesn't do the miracle until we move. How do we know when to do which? <laughs> well, when the time comes to wait, wait. When the time comes to move, move, right? That's right. That's right. When, when you need to, well, look, that really is the answer. A whole lot of life is waiting. And when you find yourself in the waiting mode, remember this. Waiting time is not wasted time if you are waiting on the Lord. You're never wasting time when you're waiting on the Lord. Uh, I don't know how to make an absolute, I don't know how to make an absolute distinction here other than perhaps to say this. Get up every day. And do God's will today. That's the best plan of life. And if God's will for you today is wait, wait. If you know God's will for you today is to move, then you move. What's the best way to know the will of God for tomorrow? Get up today and do the will of God today. For in the doing of the will of God today, you will discover 
the will of God for tomorrow. Never, never regret your times of waiting because when you are waiting on the Lord, when the time, look, when the time comes for you to move, God has a million ways to make it clear, right? He can make it clear to you. So wait on the Lord, and when the time comes to move, take a step, get in the water, and see what God will do. Let's do one more apiece. I think okay. we're kind of running out of time here. All right. Uh, let me answer this one. Uh, many sins uh, in the Old Testament were punishable by death. How do we explain that to believers today? Uh, and what happened in the New Testament to end those punishments? So I think I think uh, you've, you've talked about it multiple times that... It, we have lost, and last night especially, we've lost a view of the holiness of God. Uh, that, that these were set-apart standards. That this is how you should live. Uh, so it reminds us two things for the unbeliever. That uh, everyone has sinned, but, not, but that not all sin is the same to God. That there are some sins to God that were so egregious and were so uh, rebellious that required that type of punishment. Now in the New Testament, Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, and so we are now under the law of Christ, not the law of the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean that we, the consequences of our sin are no longer there. We see this in Ice Fire last night, and even when you read 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about you know, those who have taken communion in an unworthy manner. This is why you are sick, and this is why some of you have died today. There are still consequences to our sins in rebellion to God. But there was a freedom to accept grace from that. Here's a great question. I've always believed that when we die, we will see Jesus face to face. That gives me hope, having lost both parents. However, my question is, at what point do we see Jesus the second we die, or do we wait in the ground for Christ's return? Well, those two things are not, those two things are not, they're not opposed to each other. When we die as Christians, the body is buried in the ground. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. We bury our loved ones in the ground, knowing that because they believed in Jesus, at the moment of death, they go directly into the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, many times as a pastor, I would, uh, I remember once, Mark, we were pastoring in Oak Park, and there was somebody, an older lady, who was living. I'm kind of pulling this out of my head slowly. That's why I'm saying it this way. They lived in Berwyn or or Cicero, south of Oak Park, and sweet, godly lady who was dying of cancer. Sweet lady. And she was a little worried what it was going to be like. And uh, I told her, don't worry about anything. You're going to close your eyes on earth. You're going to open your eyes in heaven. And I said, listen, your son is going to call me when you die. He's going to let me know. Before he can get to the phone, you will see Jesus face to face. This is the Christian's hope. This is the Christian's belief. This this is what we are moving toward. Now we walk by faith. Then we shall walk by sight. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? But by the way, what happens to that body? The body is buried in the ground. And I believe the Holy Spirit protects the bodies of buried believers until the day of the resurrection. And when Jesus returns with the shout 
and the trumpet, who comes up first? The dead in Christ rise first. And those bodies will be raised, body, soul, and spirit reunited, and the body transformed, glorified. We shall see him, for we, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, do you have loved ones who believed in Jesus and have gone on? You will see them again. And they're okay right now. They are with the Lord. They are in his presence. And wherever you buried them, that's not the end of the story. God's got more work to do. And in, and in uh, one of my, uh, in fact, in this book, this book that we've got over here, Keep Believing, we added something in this new edition that wasn't there 20 years ago. Got a chapter called Death is Not the End of Our Story. Near the end of that, I say, if you've got a godly grandfather who's buried, you ought to go out to the cemetery and have a little discussion with him and tell him, Grandpa, we miss you. We miss you. We know you're with Jesus, but God's got some more work to do. And when Jesus comes back, you are coming back too. I think it's good to repeat the promises of God to ourself. To go stand in the cemetery and say, oh death, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think it's time for us to wrap up. Thank you, folks, for being here. Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you that in the end, you are the answer to all of our questions. We thank you for your word, which is true. Lord, help us to stand upon your word without fear, without favor, and without apology, so this world will know the truth of what you have said. Thank you for the wonderful week we've had. Thank you for the folks here at Cannon Beach who've, who've made this a wonderful week. We pray, Lord, you will bless us and encourage us through the rest of this day and tomorrow morning. And then as we head home, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.